Hello, welcome to another episode of Eat This Podcast with me, Jeremy Chirps. Jory Lewis is an American writer and journalist. In 2011, she moved to Senegal, which is right on the western edge of Africa. That made it a key base for the European slave trade across the Atlantic. And at the height of the slave trade, more than a third of the people in Senegal were enslaved. But not all of them were waiting to be sold abroad. Many of them were farm laborers, and the main crop they were working on was peanuts. Peanuts are a strange crop. The flowers grow at the end of a long stalk, and when they've been pollinated, the stalk turns down and buries its tip underground, where the peanut pod forms. Senegal has the light soils that make an ideal home for peanuts, but harvesting them required lots of labor, much of it enslaved. All that was a couple of hundred years ago, but the legacy lingers on. Jory Lewis was confronted by that legacy on her visits to an area called the Peanut Basin. To get to the Peanut Basin, which is really only like two, I think it's only 200 kilometers away, it would take like five hours on these really terrible roads and uh, like just huge potholes, like every, you know, 10, 10, 10 paces or something. And <laughs> to the main town, a town called Calac, just outside of it, there was this like huge mound of peanuts on the side of the road because nearby was a main peanut oil factory. So I was just spending a lot of time in that area. So much land, they were growing so much peanuts, and there was so much kind of money kind of moving around the community. In a nearby village where I'd been spending some time, because I was also interested in how people were kind of um, shifting away from the peanut economy, there was a town that was trying to create a a farmer's collective to grow high-value vegetable crops for selling elsewhere, selling in big cities, to Dakar, maybe even exporting them. Uh, And their collective needed a president, uh, and the person who uh, seemed to be the best qualified to be the president was excluded from being considered uh, because he was descended from enslaved people. As a descendant of enslaved people herself, that shocked Jory Lewis. She started on a long and difficult research project to find out what she could about peanuts and slavery. The story offers deep insights into colonial politics and the workings of Christian missionaries, as she explains in her new book, Slaves for Peanuts, which is subtitled A Story of Conquest, Liberation, and a Crop that Changed History. But the place that first opened her eyes to the history of slavery in Senegal, the Peanut Basin, which is in an area called Kafrin, that's not where the peanut story played out originally. The original Peanut Basin was further north, in an area called Kajur. So the Kajur, I, I mentioned many times in, in the book, the, the word itself means like people of the sand. From the picture you paint in the book, 150 years ago, Kajur was lush with peanuts most of the time. What's it like today? It's pretty spare, you know? There's a, a lot of windswept plains, um, a lot, a lot of dust. The villages are not, I mean, there's still quite a few major towns, but there's 
you know, like across many places in West Africa kind of migration to to the cities or to Europe or elsewhere. So that I remember I did a story from a village, not a village, it's a town, a town called Mehe. And in Mehe, I just remember they, they told me that there are only people, they call them sevens, so that if you're under seven or over 70, like that's who's living there. So it's missing kind of the full spectrum of adult, adult life. So just retirees and young children. In the, in the book, you make it very clear that farming peanuts depended on slavery. And the, the French, who had abolished slavery but were colonial in the area, they kind of turned a blind eye to the fact that people were enslaved in the business of growing peanuts. Um, but the peanuts were also a route out of slavery. Yeah, thank you for noticing that. It's, I think oh, a few people, few people sort of pick up on that subtlety. I like to think about peanuts are a kind of mechanism that allow for a kind of expansion of slavery in Senegal at that time in the mid 19th century. But over the years, it evolves um, um, a kind of means for other people to take their freedom. Let's see, maybe I need to backtrack slightly. So I always like to, to, to say, so there, of course, slavery existed in Africa, but slavery is not a singular thing, right? There are many, you know, maybe we can narrow it down to maybe a one universal definition, but slavery presents in many different ways in many different places. So of course, slavery existed in sub-Saharan Africa, but it was, um, there are many different forms, and it accelerated and expanded during the transatlantic slave trade. And more slaves were sort of produced uh, in the interior where they're... So these, there's a kind of pool of enslaved labor. Right? They're, they're out there, and they're, the peanut um, becomes a kind of opportunity right, to use those enslaved people because Senegalese um, farmers aren't... You know, it's not a huge land, but it's also not a huge population. And they need more labor to put more land into production, right? So that's really how, how that association starts. Yeah, the French sort of, I don't know if they, they turn a blind eye, but they also kind of, in some, in some ways, they, they, they know exactly what they're doing, right? You know, it's not like, please don't tell me. They're like, well, they know. But, Peanuts are also destabilizing traditional power structures. The societies are kind of, you know, there's, maybe we call it feudalism almost, right? You know, and maybe the, the headmaster, like the chief or the king has more access to, to, to species, to like money, uh, and trade goods. But peanuts, because the market, you know, like there's, there's more money changing hands among like smallholders. And then even people who don't necessarily generally have very much like patronage or possibilities for patronage with traditional leaders can get money, um, through peanuts. So that's one way it sort of starts to subvert that power structure. And that's how it also becomes a kind of possibility for Newly freed people, or once people have couldn't aspire to be freed, maybe buy themselves out of slavery, becomes one means for them to do so. 
Yeah, it's interesting also that people who bought their way out of slavery are quite prepared to enslave others. Um. Yeah, I think that's, you know, this is true in many different places. I think even in the United States, there are some occasions of black slave owners, very few. And then in the Caribbean and South America, this is also... Moving on to the peanut itself, I mean the the peanut is from the peanut is from South America. Um, how, do you have any idea how and and when it got to Africa? There's no uh, written down <laughs> explanation of the peanut's path, but we can imagine. You know, maybe even Columbus himself took back, you know, a couple of peanuts or you know, a handful or something to. To, to Spain after the first voyage. And of course the, you know, Columbus, people, some people don't know, but Columbus actually, um, he had a whole sort of several years of exploring the coast of West Africa before he made the trip across the Atlantic and presumably had some trade relationships with others, especially Portuguese, uh, sailors and traders and administrators. So that's my best supposition is that there's a kind of you know, trade network that it moved. You know, peanuts are, of course, really easy to grow because, you know, as long as you haven't roasted it, like, you can take the, the peanut and, and plant it. Um, so it could just be that because of that ease of use, it was an easy uh, plant and transport. Why do you think that the farmers of West Africa, why do you think they took to growing the peanut? I mean, you say it's easy, but it's it's not that easy. Well, I mean, easy in terms of, like, it's um, planting pattern, right? So it's not, like, complicated to plant the seed. Do you know what I mean? But I, I guess that's what I mean. In terms of a, tra- a plant that can be transplanted, it was pretty easy to transplant. But the African farmers already had a, a plant that was a little bit similar, it was quite similar to the peanut in that it... Um, that it uh, it buries its fruit in the soil, which is unusual. Um, so this thing that we now call the Bambara groundnut uh, is is very similar and was widely grown, I think, across across West West and Central Africa. Um, African farmers may have already had like you know a, a little bit of um, experience working with similar plants. It was trade with Europe that really drove the expansion of peanuts in West Africa. What what were the Europeans doing with it? Well, the Europeans um, at the time, they explained in the book, were, you know, this is the Industrial Revolution, and so there are this kind of expanding, um, you know, collection of machines that need oil, so machines needed oil. So I guess some part of it was used for that. Some part of it was used for lighting, for lamp oil. Some part of it was used for cooking, but mostly it was for this burgeoning soap industry. Um, so that's, that's where the peanut really found its niche, especially in France. They weren't, they weren't eating peanuts. They were pressing the oil and then using that in... In, as a lubricant and in soap and things like that. Yeah, they were. You know, I don't, that's a good question. I didn't see very much evidence about uh, Europeans eating peanuts. You would think they might have, right? But no, not so much. Hmm. Maybe later. 
There is a later application where it's being used in margarine. But again, that's the oil. Uh, but yeah, it, it's just an oil industry. <laughs> it's just being used for oil. You, you mentioned a couple of reasons for the decline of the peanut. Um, um, one was the opening of the Suez Canal, which made peanuts from India and, and points east much cheaper. Um, but also you talk about a, a mysterious disease that seemed to be, well, something was affecting the harvest in West Africa. What do you think that was? Well, yeah, it's it's funny that this... Um I kept finding uh, references to this kind of peanut degeneration that was happening, especially in the areas of the coast that had grown the peanut for the longest. And yeah, there wasn't any sort of good, you know, clear answer in the beginning about like what this thing was, but it was sort of stalking the peanut growing lands for like you know, 30 years at least, or 40. Uh, with merchants complaining about their yields falling, or the, the crop kind of, or even sometimes when the crop came in, just being really small, or sometimes like the, the peanuts not having any, any peanuts in the shells, or, you know, rotting really easily. So there are all kinds of hypotheses about what it could have been. Some people were saying insect damage, and were saying, uh, kind of bacteria. But it turns out, I mean, you know, it's, I, the, the best answer is it's a, a few things. It's like, um, it's, uh, you know, deforestation, effect of, of repeated monoculture, and then reverse selection. You know, the peanuts were continuing to be grown. It wasn't that they weren't, they were able to grow peanuts at all. It was that the, the quality went down so far that there was no longer any kind of incentive in the market to, to buy those peanuts anymore, and then eventually people would move on to other crops. So, like in Guinea, they started eventually growing uh, rubber instead. Overall, um, would you say that the influence of the peanut in the area has been positive or negative? Oh, hmm. I don't know if I'm like in a position to make that judgment, right? I mean, I guess, I mean, hmm. But I'm trying to, I mean, of course, there are all these, this sort of grand culinary tradition built around the peanut. Uh, the peanut also, you know, from an environmental perspective, it's not great, right? But, um, you know, it had a huge impact on, on, on helping any number of people kind of crawl their way out of, out of poverty to gain school fees and, money to expand or to help some, you know, cousin or brother or some extended relative, like, go to university. So, I, I don't know. I mean, it's not clear to me, like, what would have been the options for a place like Senegal, like, at that time to, 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 to have more trade to kind of be a part of the global economy. As far as the use of the peanut locally is concerned, I mean, do they eat roast peanuts, peanuts as snacks, peanut butter? I'm, I'm, my understanding is it has a much more solid place in the in the foodways of West Africa. So how do they use it? Yeah, no, they, they eat all of the above. There's always, uh, you know, I was just walking back to in my house, and yeah, there's peanut sellers on the street, people selling bottles of roasted peanuts. You get them on the street usually in a few different ways, sometimes with the skin on, sometimes with the skin off. 
Sometimes sugar, like a kind of praline, kind of, yeah, a kind of candy peanut. And then sometimes actually kind of like a nougat. Yeah, so all of those are like easily accessible preparations you would find on the street. And then, um, yeah, in Seneca there are so many different uses uh, in the cuisine today. I'm having mafe, which is a peanut stew. It's uh, peanuts and usually like concentrated tomato. No, it's peanut butter. Sorry, it's peanut butter, concentrated tomato paste, cooked usually with meat and then vegetables. But I don't eat meat, so no meat for me, just vegetables. And you eat it over rice, so that's one. But there are also others. There's a series of dishes that use a kind of peanut flour called no-fly, especially one that I like a lot that's using the millet-based couscous. So the millet-based couscous is the basis, and you have a, a sauce that's made with leaves, so usually like moringa leaves or um, like sweet potato leaves, or you could use spinach, I guess, if you want to, if you can't find anything else. And then usually there's fish or meat that doesn't have to have fish or meat, and, and the peanut flour, and you know, onions and garlic, and all of the other, the standard things. So that's another one. I mean, there are just so many. Like, there are literally there are many peanut-based uh, savory dishes, uh, as well as other desserts, even. So... Peanuts are everywhere. Jory Lewis talking to me from her home in Dakar, Senegal. Slaves for Peanuts is an eye-opening read. It means I'll have to update a piece I produced about five years ago, when food fans in the U.S. were ecstatic about the revival of the Carolina African runner peanut, originally brought to the U.S. by enslaved Africans. Few people at the time wondered what the peanut, a South American crop, was doing in Africa in the first place. So I had to dig around. But I didn't do nearly as much as Jory Lewis to uncover the slavery that underpinned its growth in West Africa. I'll put a link to Jory Lewis's book in the show notes at eatthispodcast.com, along with a couple of other articles you may find interesting including one about a group of women working to improve the resilience and sustainability of their peanut farms in today's peanut basin. And that's almost it for this episode. I used to make a peanut stew quite often. I need to make a note to do that again when the winter comes around as it surely will. For now, though, from me, Jeremy Chaffers, and eat this podcast, goodbye and thanks for listening. Thank you.